Welcome to The Grizzly Beat, a podcast of Grizzly Times and Louisa Wilcox, where we interview scientific experts, managers, Native Americans, writers, and others to share their knowledge, perspectives, and experience. This comes at a time of enormous interest in the grizzly bear's future as the government proposes to remove federal protections and citizens are asking important questions. We hope the information shared here will help listeners shape their own answers. So this is Louisa Wilcox and the Grizzly Beat, and we're here with Michelle Ubaraka. Michelle is the Executive Director of the Park County Environmental Council, a grassroots conservation organization operating north of Yellowstone Park in a county the size of Rhode Island. Michelle works to protect grizzly bears, wolves, and bison that are part of her beat. Michelle, you started out studying biology, and then you went to law school at University of Montana when President Bush was working to dismantle the country's environmental laws with the idea you'd become an environmental litigator. And yet now, here you are in Park County, the director of a grassroots group on the edge of Yellowstone. What changed your path? Um, that's a great question. Um, yeah, you know, I think that in order to uh, affect change, you know, I have a lot of tools in your toolbox. And uh, I had worked as a grassroots organizer and, yeah, it kind of felt like we hit a lot of walls under the Bush administration and uh, litigation seemed like a really important tool. And so I went to law school. Um, and I did, I did do a little bit of environmental litigation, um, and I still do, but I don't work for a traditional firm. I work in my basement on uh, issues as they arise that I can fit into my schedule, but uh, I get to balance that with working a grassroots efforts right in my community with the people here um, that are you know, kind of on the front line of so many of these really big, important environmental issues. And uh, I think I'm uh, really a, a people person, so I, I like to be able to uh, be out in our community working with people. And, and then when, when the time comes to sit at the desk, I can do that as well. So, Michelle, can you talk a little bit more about some specifics, like what kind of issues and how you work in a grassroots way in the community? Yeah, so I think that I think the important part of grassroots to me is that we are well at Park County Environmental Council. There's two staff and a board, and so with a really small organization, and we're we're our role is to work with the community to empower community members, to empower community leaders, to help them. Uh, protect our community or uh, so w- working with people on issues that matter to them and and that that means you know setting up educational meetings and providing information so sharing what we're learning with people in the community um, connecting uh, community leaders with their elected officials and um, making sure that that their voices are heard, kind of not just locally, but also all the way up to the top, and um, and yeah, it also includes just participating in all sorts of different community events and talking about uh, you know the environmental issues that matter here. Can you describe perhaps a, a particular success uh, that Park County Environmental Council has uh, faced? Um, well, yeah, I can, I can 
speak to a small, this is a, a small, but I think a, a, a good, a really nice success story. Um, PCEC for a long time organized annual electronic waste cleanups, um, and that, you know, required a lot of volunteers and, and bringing in um, a company to gather the waste, and then eventually, because it was so effective, the county just took that program over. So we no longer had to do mm. that, and now the county gathers wow. e-waste. So that's an example of kind of building the demand and then showing that this can be something that, um, that needs to stick around. So that's one victory, and then we've had some, some bear victories in the past as well. Mm. Um, and I can maybe save that for our bear conversation or... You want to hear about? No, that? no, go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, I, you know, to get ready to chat with you today, Louisa, I got to sit down with um, PCEC's first uh, executive director, Jim Barrett, and he PCEC has been around since 1990, but he came on our first staff person, so it was, it was all volunteer board until 1998, and Jim uh, lived. In Cook City, he lived in Cook City, and I think part time maybe in Livingston as well. But um, Livingston, and I think he came in 1975, right as the bears were were going on the endangered species list. So mm-hmm. uh, he and he's been there since, and so he's seen the kind of evolution of bears interacting, coexisting with people in local communities. And uh, he was sharing the story of how you know bears were. It were spectacles, kind of all just wandering through uh, backyards and eating garbage. And uh, Cook City had a, um, the dump was just a place where food was, mm-hmm. you know, literally piled, which was also common in the park um, in that time. But and it, they, I think they even put bleachers up around yeah. maybe. Yeah, they basically had <laughs> people could come and watch the bears, and it was thought, you know, a really positive thing at, at one point. And then, um, you know, they they started to realize that eating garbage was not good for bears, um, and had to work to change that. And so, uh, Jim, through his his work at PCEC and with some other groups, was really instrumental in changing the way Cook City managed. Uh, garbage, and you know they they closed the dump, then they moved it into town, and it sounds like it went through the. There was a dump in town that, you know, at first was um, dumpsters, but the bears, of course, could still get in them, and then they put a fence around, but then the bears would crawl over the fence, and they put an electric electric fence up, and that didn't do much, and then eventually um, they had some success when they worked with the. Um, I think it was with the. Department of Transportation and Forest U.S. Fish Wildlife Service, and they got some money brought in to the community to um, uh, build an enclosed trash compactor in Cook City so that all the waste went into a building Mm -hmm. was compacted in there. And um, Jim described that as a real win-win. You know, everybody was happy. Uh, It was good infrastructure for the community. It um, helped the bears, and it reduced conflict. So that was a good victory. And then other communities around, you know, the um, edges of the park have done similar things with, with waste management. So That's great. That's great. So I know you've been spending a lot of your time working in the Paradise Valley north of Yellowstone Park on a particularly interesting and 
problematic threat to grizzly bears and mm-hmm. the environment in general. And that is a mine, a proposed new mine uh, that a Canadian company is bringing um, to the Emigrant Peak and Paradise Valley area that has the community up in arms. Can you talk about what the impacts of that mine would be and what PCEC is doing about it? Yeah, so um, Lucky Minerals, Inc. has proposed uh, a a pretty large industrial-scale gold mine operation in Emigrant Gulch. We learned about it last June through a scoping letter from the Forest Service. Um, And, you know, it really wasn't until we took uh, a look at the company's website, we could really hmm. tell what their full plans were. You know, the, the scoping letter kind of you know, talked about what the, some exploratory drilling on public lands, but the company's website was way more expansive. And so ultimately, they had um, staked claims on over 2,500 acres on both private and public lands in Emigrant Gulch. Um, that's a lot of a lot, covers a lot of area back there and three drainages to the Yellowstone River, so um, Emigrant Creek and then over into uh, Mill Creek and then over into the six-mile drainage as well. So potentially could have devastating impacts on our waterways. Of course, gold mining does not have a good history of um, protecting water. We have uh, gold being mined from a sulfide ore body which leads to acid mine drainage, and that can have mm-hmm. really devastating impa- impacts on aquatic life. But the emigrant area is also um, home to grizzly bears, wolverines, and lynx. And I've heard just anecdotal stories from from uh, colleagues that, oh, emigrant peaks is the only place I've ever seen lynx in the wild. And I saw huh. wolverine prints up there, or and even a local landowner who claims to have seen a wolverine in the wild. Um, and then bears are are also very common, and um, one of our county commissioners who's supportive, uh, you know, Steve Caldwell, likes to talk Mm. about um, running into grizzly sign on top of Emigrant Peak. So lots of wildlife, and then it's also really important um, just community recreational access, um, and then not to mention the businesses there that depend on that, like Chico Hot Springs and Mm -hmm. the vacation rentals. So so that's in the community really um, responded very quickly and effectively um, and in a unified manner in opposition to this type of development. So it was really rewarding when we you know we started spreading the word through community meetings, just the huge outpouring of just the way the community was rallying to do whatever mm-hmm. needed to be done. It was really empowering, really exciting, um, you know, exciting in the sense that in these situations, it's big mining companies, I think local communities often feel helpless. And mm-hmm. um, we responded so strongly and so quickly, it, we're actually winning, I would say, now, and we've got a good chance wow. Um, stopping this mine. Of course, we've got potentially years and years more to go and lots and lots of hurdles, but uh, we, you know, we got in really early, so hopefully we can start stopping them before there's even 
you know, boots on the ground up there. So, and then, you know, there's also a second mining proposal in our valley. Oh, right. Crevice and um, it's a little bit different situation. A, a slightly smaller company. They've got Canadian or not Canadian? Excuse me. Lucky Mineral is Canadian ba- backing. They're actually a Canadian company. This uh, crevice is Australian backing. Ah. Yeah. And their proposal is all on private land, but the the developer wants to dig underground. You know, it claims it can do a, a massive gold mine with very little air, surface area disruption by by digging underground tunnels um, onto public lands, and and that mine it's, is on the border. They're right of the on park. the border of the par- of Yellowstone Park, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right in um, uh, primary the primary conservation area for grizzly bears, so also really important wildlife habitat. Right. And one of the big issues with mines is that under the 1872 mining law, the federal government really can't say no mm-hmm. um, to uh, a mine. And so the grizzly bear and other species will, if it goes forward, get the short end of the stick. Yeah. And I think that that's, there's a lot of frustration, I think, with the 1872 mining law, but that's the unfortunate reality. You know, it's a slow march toward the mine. You know, we can we can use our um, environmental laws, the environmental policy, National Environmental Policy Act, the Montana Environmental Policy Act, to review the process to make sure that they're, you know, abiding with the law. But, but ultimately, it does look like permitting a mine is the end of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, there are some Strategies, though, that we are working on to protect the public lands that surround mm-hmm. the private mining claims. And so there are ways to do that under the 1872 mining law, uh, which we're exploring right now. So, right. Yeah. Well, good going. And, and also the political base of support that you're developing is, is really critical. And I guess that gets me to another question for you with uh, the diversity of Park County, which, of course, has a timber mill and a hardcore ranching base on one hand, and, and also on the other, you know, movie stars and artists and committed liberals, including a prominent Bernie Sanders constituency. And what are you doing to find a base of support given the wild diversity that we have here? Yeah, I like the way you put that. It's true. We have a very eccentric community, um, which makes it a really cool, fun place to live and raise children. Um, you know, and I would say that our my effort is to be, I think you really have to be open-minded and uh, find common ground. You have to recognize that um, there's so many different people that think different ways, and you meet on the street and you meet at the grocery store and you chat at the coffee shop and then you know you're in community meetings maybe on opposite sides maybe on the same side depending on the issue so i think it really um it's a really important reminder of treating treating people with respect and um recognizing that you can disagree in respectful ways and then that, that way when it does when it comes time to work together it's not a problem because you've you've got relationships that that can survive disagreements and um, thrive when there are opportunities to work together. And I, I think that that's um, 
critically important. And our mind campaign has been an issue that's really brought people together across um, political lines. You know, there's there's a real diverse group of people that that don't want to see mining in our valley for lots of different reasons. So mm-hmm. some that care really vehemently about wildlife and, and grizzly bears and wolves and, and others that care more about, um, you know, whether or not that changes the quality of life and therefore the um, quality of employees that they can hire at their business. So uh, I'd say a really diverse range of reasons why people are opposing the mines. So, Michelle, you work obviously on a very, very local basis, but you also work on a national scale, and recently you initiated a nationwide petition drive for grizzly bears on change.org, and so far it's garnered over 100,000 signatures opposed to grizzly bear delisting. Uh, maybe you can talk about your views on delisting of grizz- Yellowstone grizzly bears and what you hope the petition will accomplish. Yeah, so as a, a local group faced with these national issues, uh, we're, we were, um, were lucky to have access to all sorts of different tools online. So that petition that you mes- mentioned, it was actually through CARE2, um, which is the petition site, and oh, I'm sorry. kind of a, the, the, the competitor would change, but very similar. And I just went on there today, and we have 117,000 signatures. Wow. Um, and so then the question was, can you remind me the question again? I think. I'm, well, just uh, your, what your views on deep listing are, how oh, you got started with this petition, and what you hope it will do. Of course, why did we do the petition to begin with? Um, yeah, so the delisting issue, uh, you know, I came across, you know, it was, it was creating a lot of concern in our local community summer and fall, you know, because the kind of writing was in the sand that this was coming down the pipes. We were so lucky in Park County to have, um, you know, not only that, that great diversity of um, politics, but also some renowned scientists that work on these issues, um, and one of those is Dr. Jesse Logan, who is on the PCEC board, and um, Jesse and I were chatting along with other grizzly bear advocates, including Doug Peacock this summer, about the fate of Yellowstone grizzly bears and what it would mean for them to be delisted and what we could do locally, and so that kind of spurred our efforts. Um, PCEC our board is very concerned about delisting the grizzly bears and working to protect grizzly bears has been a part of our mission um, since we were founded in uh, 1990. So it's, it's not um, new territory, but it's definitely a big issue. We have to be thoughtful about how we dive in and what we can do. Um, but inevitably the concern is that you know, we don't think that Yellowstone's grizzly bears are ready for delisting. Um, it was, let me look at my numbers here. It was in 2015, last year, there was about 70 bears. This is, Jesse sent me some science here that uh, 70 bears were killed. So that was about 10% of the total population. Of course, mm-hmm. grizzly bears are the slowest 
reproducing mammals in North America, that's a pretty high mortality rate. And I don't mm-hmm. think you have to be a PhD in ecology to understand that. Um, the other, I think, big obvious concern for us is climate change. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is something that I think resonates with our local community and across the country and across the world. You know, our species all around the world face the um, threat of a changing climate. And I think that that threat is particularly dire for grizzly bears. So that's a big concern. And, and climate change is changing bears. Uh, the way that they, you know, their, their food sources, uh, they're losing some critical food sources. Um, we're concerned about grizzly bears uh, as an isolated population. You know, we don't want, and this is, I think, all bear advocates share this concern that we need grizzly bears. They, they can't exist in an island population in Yellowstone National Park. They need to be able to migrate north. Um, and removing the bears from the native species list and opening up state-led trophy hunts is, is, is really the is, is not going to help bears uh, move north, and in fact, it will probably prevent that from happening. So, the hunting of grizzly bears is also a huge concern, um, and yeah, I know residents in Park County, members of PCEC are not eager to hunt grizzly bears. So I'd be really disappointed to see that happen. Well, it's a huge response you've gotten, and and far beyond Park County. Well, yeah, and so, I mean, that's the other thing is we have uh, impacts in our local community, but really grizzly bears are um, matter to not just this local community, but to the country and to the world. And, and I think that's what the petition demonstrates is that, you know, when we were able to circulate it to a national audience and it's really picked up momentum. And so those 120,000 signatures or the 117,000 that we've got right now are from all over the country and all over the world. So, you know. It must be pretty gratifying. So, Michelle, you and your husband have two children, Lucia and Neva. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, it's uh, uh, Luca. Luca. And, uh-huh, and Neva. <laughs> and Neva, okay. So what kind of effect does growing up near Yellowstone and your work seem to be having on them, and, and what do you hope they grow up with? Oh, well, uh, I was really lucky to grow up in a national park community, and I think that it helped shape my uh, world view, and I, and I think that that uh, this I want a similar experience for my children. I think it's common. I I um, want them to spend lots of free time outside in wild places. I want them to um, understand what the diversity of an ecosystem means, and that there are you know, large predators like grizzly bears and wolves, and there are diversity of uh, birds. My four-year-old loves birds of prey. And, um, you know, I think that they're they're just the – my two-year-old can identify the difference between elk, moose, you know, all sorts of different Mm -hmm. wildlife species that I think are probably not even – 
common language for most two-year-olds. But mm-hmm. um, so I think growing up in a, a place like this, you just your your whole worldview is different because you see yourself as part of an ecosystem. Or I hope that they they see that. Um, so I think it's a really special thing. Well, thank you. Well, thank you, Michelle. Uh, we're with Michelle Ubaraga and the Grizzly Beat. Thank you very much.